Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, November 17th, 2017. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Tiffany and Doug. Hey, guys. And Gabby. And Gabby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gabby. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I mean, just, just reading like a robot. <laughs> Uh, so today our uh, our topic is the nanny state, uh, paranoid parents and the fragile generation. Uh, so we want to talk about, um, I guess if you want to say from a health and wellness perspective, talk about the state imposing, uh, you know, their uh, moral and, and medical judgments on people um, through laws, you know, through the threat of violence, uh, but also just talking about the attitude uh, that's spreading through society, the uh, authoritarian follower kind of attitude, um, you know, tell me what to do uh, with my life, with my family, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's the libertarian show today. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. So we do have a bunch of uh, topics and we have a few clips that, uh, that we're going to share with you. Um, but I guess just to get us into the topic, uh, what are we talking about uh, when we say nanny state? It's not necessarily, you know, I guess it's kind of like Big Brother, but it's, um, well, I guess if you take the context from 1984, it is Big Brother because it's this despotic uh, kind of ruling force that the people also feel that they need, you know, and that they love because yeah. it, it gives them security and peace of mind. In, in exchange yeah. for their own free will, right? Listen, yeah. either an over-involved parent or <clears throat> some kind of social structure that kind of latches on to every aspect of your life and tries to give you direction when you don't necessarily need it. But just, I don't know. Over-involvement is basically the word that I can come up with. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Nosy, busybody, interfering. Yeah. Yeah. And on a state level, it's kind of like, um, you know, basically telling the citizens how to to run their life, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, Uh You know, telling, making things um, illegal just because they might possibly be construed as dangerous. And then it comes all the way down to kind of a parental level where parents kind of just are totally over-involved in their kids' lives and not letting them do anything that would, you know, could possibly be construed as dangerous, I guess. Mm. I have also an example from the healthcare system. Like in the past, and not too long ago, when I was a child, <laughs> when I had gastroenteritis or had very high fever, like usually somebody from the family will take care of me. That's it. I never saw, you know, nobody took me to the doctor or anything. Mm. And right now, if a child, you know, has fever for six hours, oh, I must go to the doctor, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. It's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah like the littlest bumper scratch they get taken to the emergency room yeah and it's like the kid's fine they're just sitting there laughing or like playing with their games or whatever and it's like yeah really um... well speaking of nanny state in the healthcare industry the fda just approved a smart pill for abilify which is an anti-psychotic drug i think it's abilify where it can track whether you took the pill 
and let your doctor know. That's <laughs> so that's introduced now. Yeah. I mean, the wow. idea was in the pipeline for a while, but I think this is yeah. the first one that's been approved. Well, the insurance wow. companies are going to love that. Yeah. 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 You know what? Because the injection is too expensive, like uh, schizophrenics get it because supposedly they cannot be relied on taking the medication. <laughs> so they inject them and that's it. And it works like for one a month or so, you know, but it is expensive. So I guess the rest, you know, when there is no clear indication, you get this special tracking device, I guess. Jeez, that's but I think it's so I mean, funny about... that you give a pill that is tracked by the authorities to a population of people who are known for their delusions and paranoia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, if that doesn't tell them that Big Brother is watching, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So patients will say, they're tracking me, they're tracking me. They don't increase the dose because of my psychotic reaction. Is it like well, a device it that's is... inserted in the, in the pill? Is that what it is? Like some kind of micro device? I think so. I don't know. Nanotech be, yeah, or an, something? Probably an RFID mm -hmm. chip. So I wonder <laughs> if you could actually just like take apart your pill and just swallow the chip. <laughs> I'm already thinking of ways around it. <laughs> It really it's turning into a William Gibson novel where there's gonna you get to go onto yeah. the street to buy hacks, you know, that's like a little <laughs> scanner that will convince them that you took your medication. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's well, really insane. Like that is like a level of control that's just really insane. I mean, they justify it by ways of saying like, Oh yeah, it's for schizophrenics or it's for the aged or something like that, you know, where these people aren't necessarily going to remember to take their pills and it's good for their doctor to know for sure that they're taking them and stuff. But really, I mean, what it is is basically saying that the, the state is saying, we don't think that you're competent enough to be able to, to take your medication or we don't trust you enough to actually take your medication. So we're going to track you. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. This is the first one, I guess the blood pressure drugs are next. And mm -hmm. Who knows what else? <laughs> Well, it's probably the psychiatric medications, I think. Like that that seems like the the big one, you know, where it's people who you know, a lot of people are reluctantly taking their medication and you know, they always say that compliance is an issue. So it's like Oh yeah, it's an issue too for cognitive decline people as mm -hmm. you age, you know. Yeah. You have to be tracked. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we can't trust these people, so we gotta track them. Is it do yeah. you think at the basis of all this is uh is essentially a trust issue because I mean I know that's extremely simplified but one of the articles we were looking at for the show um, speaking to this attitude that's kind of getting spread throughout our culture uh, there was uh, let me find this here uh, in a Chicago suburb Elmhurst a, uh, a citizen walked across a teenage boy chopping wood um, huh. just chopping some fallen branches and the onlooker called the police on the boy, uh, you know, for wielding a deadly weapon. Uh, and the boy said he was just trying to build a fort. Uh, the local news reported that the police took the tools for safekeeping to be returned to the boy's parents. So th that's one example. Uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, access, I, I, I do and have chopped wood and, and they can be dangerous, but you know, the, it, it leans to the attitude of like calling the police 
Like in yeah. a normal situation, you'd be like, hey, what you doing with that there axe? You know, <laughs> and well, find out what's going on. He was trying to build a fort for himself, yeah. his friends. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a teenager too. It's not like it was some like you know six year old or something like that who's waving yeah. an axe around. It's like it's, yeah. it's a guy, a guy, a teenager is perfectly competent to yeah. you know build a fort. I mean, yeah. Jesus, I was building forts when I was like what twelve years old, ten years old, something like that. Yeah. So well, I guess what what that makes me think of is like if if you were uh, a, a parent and you saw your kid swinging an axe around. I could imagine that you would run out and be like, "Hey, whoa, hey, let's let's t- talk about this and how to do it properly." So, but a stranger now is taking on that role. That's what was connecting it in my mind to the trust issues. That when you see something happening, you're immediately, well, I say, the royal you, uh, inspired to act as though that is your child. So, whereas mm-hmm. that might be interpreted as a noble impulse, like the community raising the child, I think because of people's natures, it's being turned into this. You know, everybody's hovering yeah. around, helicoptering around everybody else's kids, and yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of insane. And and the, the, it seems like the first instinct now is to call the police in situations like there's there's really no way that you like that that incident is is worthy of calling the police. I mean, there was another one where um, a kid, and it was it was it wasn't established what the kid actually said, but they were serving brownies at his school, and he said some kind of remark that could be construed as racist. And they didn't call his parents. They didn't send him to the principal's office. They called the police. Wow. And this was like, you know, a, a young kid. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like six to eight years old or something like that. And they called the cops. It's like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Like, well, how is that in any stretch of the imagination an issue that you need to involve the police in? Yeah. Well, there's another one where a mother had... Uh, her kids, they kept missing the school bus in the morning, and it was a three-mile walk to school. So she was driving a little bit up ahead of her kids while she made them walk the three miles to school. And the cop saw her doing that, and he cited her for child endangerment and said that she was yeah. in no position to reach her kids quickly enough if there was danger because there was traffic outside. Ah. Like, never mind the fact that if, if if that had happened to me back in the day, and I, mind you, I didn't live three miles from my school, but if I had missed the bus or something, my parents would be like, well, walk. And they wouldn't drive along with me. They would just be no. like, go. You're gone. You yeah. know, you missed the bus. This is your consequence. Get going. The fact that she was driving along with them, like to me, that's already more of a safety measure than is really, is really necessary. But the fact that she got you know, cited for that, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And another middle school kid got suspended for liking a photo of a toy gun on Instagram. Yeah, that's crazy. It's really disturbing that the schools even monitoring the kids' use of social media. Do schools yeah. have the power to do that? I guess they do, but it's and it's just it was like that one was so stupid because first of all it was a toy gun, and <laughs> apparently it was like a picture of a toy gun, and it said then the comment was ready. So. To me, that says they're ready to go play with their toy gun, whatever kind of toy gun that is. <laughs> but it's like they construed it as um, implying vi- like school violence in some way, that right. they were ready to do a school shooting. Like, and the kid like, who got suspended for it wasn't even like didn't even comment on it. He just liked it. That was it. 
like, hey, that's a, co- a cool toy gun. Like, no, you're suspended. Well. <sighs> so where do you think this is coming from, that, that people are now so – it's just a maybe an ambient increase in fear because people are mm-hmm. afraid of, of everything – not only in their own lives, but in other people's lives as well. Well, some of the authors uh, in the articles that we were reading, they said it probably went back to the 1980s when people still drank out of milk cartons. And there were all these images of missing kids on the back of milk cartons. And everybody got all scared that every time their kids stepped out of the door, they're going to be kidnapped and raped and killed. Mm. Even though it's a really low number that that actually happens to. Mm-hmm. And what, yeah, what was that, um, that guy whose son actually did get kidnapped and killed, Adam, John Walsh, and he had uh, like a series on for a while where he was talking about missing kids a lot. So maybe oh. that's part of what scared people. It might just be the news and the media environment in general. Like, it has a way of kind of amplifying all the really crazy bad things that are going on. And I I think it does kind of make people lose perspective. Like, if you turn on the news for half an hour every day, and everything that's on there is talking about how this person was kidnapped, this person was killed, there was a holdup over here, a car bomb over here, blah, 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 blah. It does tend to kind of skew your perspective a little bit. So I wonder if it's just kind of like, you know, fear in general. We kind of are living in a fearful world. Hysterical world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's when the good times go directly to the bad times. Mm. Yeah. So is this ramping up of the fear just a cyclical thing or is it something Mm. specific to the United States at this time, or maybe the UK too. I don't know about other countries. I don't know. I think it's pretty general. <laughs> it's pretty ubiquitous. <laughs> but do kids in other countries, are they allowed to walk to school on their own? Does their government have to pass a law and say that it's okay? <laughs> that I heard only from the United States, actually. Mm. Yeah. For example, in Spain, you know, which is... Um, very traditional, you know, um, a lot of people uh, used to live on small towns in the countryside and now the big cities are the big, attra- um, you know, attractors. So, yeah, that's more difficult. But even then, it is normal to hear that somebody will walk to the school and it's not considered pathological or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I have, I have a friend who um, has a son. And, you know, it was a few years ago, I guess, before I was really aware of how much this was kind of ramping up. And she would, like, tell me stories about stuff. And I was just absolutely mind-boggled about it. Like, she would, I would say, you know, she would say, oh, yeah, you know, I have to walk my son to school. And I'm like, well, why? You know, it's not that far. Like, just, you know, get him to walk. He's old enough. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, if I just had him walk to school, I would have child protective services at my door. Like, it's that crazy. Um just like the anybody seeing any unattended child is kind of like it's 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 hysterical and i don't think that you really see that too much outside of uh north america at least to that extent like i think 
there's still an understanding in, in a lot of uh, European countries and probably Eastern European countries and the, even the rest of the world that, you know, kids, you know, as they grow up, they kind of, they, they take on these responsibilities and they're, it, it's cool for them to do that. It's okay for them to be on their own. But it's kind of like there's this mentality in North America that's like a kid on their own means trouble. And whether that means that they're going to get into trouble from a stranger or some kind of crime, or they're going to get into trouble by doing something that they shouldn't be doing. It's kind of like just this this complete, like you were saying, Jonathan, like it's a trust issue. It's like this complete mistrust of kids and that they aren't capable of kind of, you know, using their own logic and reason to know what's good and what's not good. And that to be being said, like apparently violent crime is actually down um, significantly. It's back down to like 1963 levels, I just read. So it's kind of like the world is actually a much safer place than a lot of these parents grew up in, yet they're treating their kids as if it's more dangerous. Well, even outside of violence and the risk of being kidnapped and killed, there's all this structured time that kids have. Mm -hmm. They don't have any free time. There's play dates and all these lessons and soccer practice and uh, all this testing in schools. Like kids don't have any time when they're not under the eye of some adult or some authority figure. They're not even Mm -hmm. free to work out issues on their own on the playground or with, you Mm -hmm. know, the neighbor kid down the street. If they get into a little argument while they're playing, it's always some adult that has to come in and put their hands into it and kind of intervene when back in my day, kids were left to kind of work their own issues out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's doing a real disservice to the kids because, I mean, that kind of learning those kinds of skills is very important to getting along in the world, to be able to kind of work out issues, to you know, learn different kind of mediation skills and that sort of thing. I mean, your kids can't do that because they've always had to rely on an authority to basically make decisions for them. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine what this generation is going to be like when they grow up, like just yeah. completely helpless. And perfect slaves. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> well, I think we can draw this back to, to uh, and we've talked about this on the show before, John Taylor Gatto's principle of mm-hmm. artificially extended childhood. And I think that we're seeing the results of that having been applied to now a couple of generations in a row, um, you know, what, what it results in. And it's, it's more and more grown children who are, you know, quote unquote functioning members of society who still have that, that, uh, or I should say the lack of the impulse to take care of themselves, self, self-reliance, uh, curiosity, the ability to mm-hmm. try something and fail and not have that break you and then try other things and just be persistent in life and have some resilience that I think has gotten largely for lack of a better word, bred out of people. Mm-hmm. So you see that more and more that not just manifesting in the family situation, but also in the culture where people want to be, you know, guided, told what to do but they lack the discernment to choose their, their leaders. So it's kind of a conundrum. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a weird thing. And I do, I think there definitely is something to what Gatto talks about that schools actually are designed to kind of breed that out of people that, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, it's it's like you said, Gabby. It's like it's basically making perfect slaves. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like people who are incapable of making decisions or um, discerning or any of these kinds of things. Just these useless kind of lumps that completely depend on their authorities for everything. What should I have for dinner tonight? Uh-huh. You know, what color shoes should I wear? Which pills should I take now? Mm. Yeah. What food should I eat? Uh-huh. I mean, that's pretty big anyway. <laughs> that's already, <Yeah. laughs> people are already depending on their authorities to tell them what to eat. Well, when I was a kid, we played outside until the street lights came on or until dinner time. Yep. Mm-hmm. I yeah. remember my mother's friends used to come and visit and they had kids. Immediately, we'd be out in the woods in the back of the house and we'd be gone for yeah. hours. Yeah. Nobody yeah. cared. Yeah. They wanted to, they wanted to, <laughs> told us to go outside. Yeah. Go outside and play totally. drag. <laughs> I used get to, lost. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. Go somewhere. Yeah. yeah I used to be exactly. sent to the store. I remember I was in elementary school, maybe like seven. Sent like at least a mile and a half up the street to, you know, come back with uh, some bread or some milk or something. Do kids even go to the store by themselves anymore? Do they stay at home by themselves anymore? Uh, I don't know. I don't have a read on it. I've got a little bit of a read on it because I do see in my Facebook stream people talking about this kind of thing. And I remember there was one specifically where... There was this girl who, you know, I haven't actually spoken to her in years. And, you know, most of the people on my Facebook feed fall into that category. But uh, and she was kind of like, oh, parents, let me know. Am I overreacting here? I told my kid not to take a shower while I was gone because I don't want him to like slip and like fall or anything like that. And I read that and I was like, that's crazy. And everybody was saying, no, you're not crazy. That's I give those kinds of uh, rules to my kids too. And I don't let them use the stove or anything else and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, and I was like, well, I wonder how old her kid is. And her her kid, I think was like 13 or 14 or something like that. That's That's just crazy. Like that's just insane. (laughs) <laughs> but nobody else seemed to think so. And you're not joking? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I mean, I can guess I can understand, like, maybe, okay, yeah, don't turn on the stove. Fine. You know, although at 13 or 14, a kid should know how to cook, in my opinion. But, um, <clears throat> but I mean, don't take a shower. Mm. Like, seriously. I mean, they're going to end up leaving these kids in, like, straight jackets in a rubber room because they don't want them to hurt themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my mother and her friend went out for a while, and she had two kids. <laughs> I was showing them how to hold a lighter and spray, like hairspray, into the lighter. <laughs> and make a blowtorch. Like, all kinds of weird and slightly dangerous things that kids get into, but that's just part of being a kid. Yeah. That's how you learn about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember we used to, like, talking about leaving, you know, and not being home until the the streetlights came on. I remember we would just, like, explore. We'd go into the forest and just see where the paths led to. Mm -hmm. And at one point, we came to a new subdivision that had been built, and they cleared out all of our forest, which was, you know, pissed us off, obviously. And they had only installed the sewer system so far. So me and my friends got, like, backpacks and, like, flashlights and all this kind of stuff, and we went into these sewer systems and we spent hours 
just going around these dark, dingy, spooky sewers. And I'm sure if my parents knew we were doing that, they probably would have, like, freaked out. <laughs> but they didn't know, and they were fine with it. I mean, we used to yeah, ride exactly. bikes all over the city, and nobody cared. Nobody stopped us. Mm-hmm. The police never yeah. pulled us over and said, hey, what are you doing out here? Go home. Yeah. yeah. There's no gangs of roving kids anymore. I never see any kids walking no. around. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and it's it's crazy too because um oh shoot, lost my train of thought. Sorry. Well, let's uh to to kind of aid the discussion in thinking about like where this culture is going. Uh we have a clip from uh, Ben Shapiro talking about facts and how facts apply to life. And this might be an interesting, you know, to, uh, might provide some insight onto what we're talking about. Yeah. Vanderbilt University, November 2015. 200 students rise up to protest the white privilege and microaggressions of the racist, bigoted Vanderbilt administration. The protesters don't offer any specific examples of discrimination, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that they feel victimized. The next day, a bag of dog poop shows up at the front door of the university's black cultural center. All hell breaks loose. Full of righteous indignation, student activist groups rush to Facebook to denounce the racist act. The police investigate. They quickly find the person responsible, but nobody is arrested. You know why? Because it turns out that the bag of excrement wasn't a racist attack. It was left by a blind girl with a service dog. She couldn't find a trash can, so... Wanting to do the responsible thing, she left the bag outside the door of a nearby building, knowing a janitor would pick it up and throw it away. The student group did apologize, but then they added another charge against the administration. The needs of students with disabilities on this campus are also marginalized. Seriously, this is not a joke. On the college campus today, feelings rule facts and victims are heroes. According to the left, all inequality in America is due to victimization. They start by claiming that all non-white people in America are victims of white privilege. Then come women. They're all victims of the patriarchy. Then come gays and lesbians and the transgendered. They're all victims of our heteronormative and homophobic society. But what if you haven't actually been victimized by anybody? That doesn't matter. To the left, so long as you feel victimized, you're a victim. Even if you have never actually experienced discrimination, you've surely been targeted by microaggressions. You know, nasty little words and phrases that weren't meant to be insults, but just are. If somebody asks you, where are you from? That's considered a xenophobic microaggression. They're implying that you are a foreigner. If a man holds open a door for a woman, which, by the way, you're supposed to do, that's a sexist microaggression because he's treating her like she's a helpless female. Of course, he's also treating her like she's a woman. But how would he know? And heaven forbid anybody address you by your biologically accurate pronoun. What if she identifies as a man? In short... Everyone's a victim, except, of course, straight white males. Also, anybody who dares to disagree with the left. If you're guilty of either of those crimes, you must be confronted, even if doing so requires actual aggression, like, say, a riot. Here's a trick the left plays to justify their violence. First, they say it's okay to punch Nazis. Then they say that every conservative, in fact, everybody they disagree with, is a Nazi. But here's the biggest problem with the left's argument. They're based on feelings, not facts. Take white privilege. The only real privilege in America is American privilege. Everybody in America has it, more than citizens of any other country in the world, the privilege to make your own decisions and live the life you choose. 
According to the liberal Brookings Institution, if you make just these three decisions, you'll do fine. And with drive and ambition, you'll probably do better than fine. First, finish high school. Second, don't have babies before you're married. Third, hold down a job. If you do these three things, you'll be on your way to the privilege of middle-class life, regardless of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender. Also, there's no patriarchy. Women already make up the majority of college graduates. According to Time Magazine, young single women without kids already earn more than their male counterparts. Oh, and gay and lesbian couples, they earn more than their straight counterparts, too. These are facts, and facts don't care about your feelings. Neither will your employer if you get a job after you leave school. The moment you graduate, reality is going to hit you like a truck. People who give you a paycheck expect you to produce. They expect you to work. Hard. And all the claims of victimhood, all the whining, well, nobody cares. So, stop worrying so much about your feelings and start worrying a little more about being a good person, doing your best, and not getting in your own way. If you don't, the only thing you'll be a victim of is yourself. I'm Ben Shapiro, editor of The Daily Wire for Prager University. To keep these videos free... And we stop. What? Oh, how do, how do we keep the videos free? <laughs> we don't <laughs> so all this yes. coddling and sheltering of these kids prevents them from learning how to be a better person and actually being a better person on their own without having somebody step in and say, you need to do this, that, or the other thing in order to be a good person. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the understanding that humility is a requirement for actually learning and assimilating new information and becoming a better, more skilled person that, you know, it's getting weeded out. It's just like <clears throat> to the, uh, the accounts that Shapiro gave, there's a, a surprising number of these kind of stories coming out, uh, mostly from, I think, liberal colleges. Um, there was one recently from Reed college where and we were talking about this before the show that, um, they played, uh, Steve Martin's, King Tut skit from SNL from like 1979 in a class and a bunch of students uh, flipped out and said that it was racist, uh, you know, and that Steve Martin's attire, the kind of goofy Egyptian attire was uh, equivalent to blackface uh, and that the uh, they demanded that the course be made optional temporarily until a new curriculum could be devised. And so I think that's a real interesting case uh, where the students are, you know, steering the direction of the school. Now, it may seem counterintuitive for me because I have some really strong opinions about schooling. And I think that students should be given more freedom to determine their own education. But it also needs to be done in the spirit of learning. And that's not what this is. This is a spirit of, no. uh, of uh, arrogance and yeah. petulance. Yeah. It's basically like these kids are afraid of any kind of cognitive dissonance. You know, it's yeah. like they see something that makes them uncomfortable. And rather than like wanting to, you know, discuss it and explore it and talk about it, they just want it gone. It's like, I don't want to have to feel, deal with these feelings. So you have to change. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is coming from a perspective of everybody else is responsible for my feelings. So if something, if I see something that upsets me, it's not, you know, it has nothing to do with me that person has to change or that, you know, course has to change or that video has to change or whatever the case is. 
It's like, no, I, I'm not responsible for my own feelings. Everyone else is. And that's kind of like nanny state times a billion. You know, it's kind of like the, the putting the, the onus of like not taking any responsibility for yourself and only put like putting that responsibility onto everybody else. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There's no emotional resilience. Uh, no. Or not, not that there's none, but it's being weeded out, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. there was one article that we read about some male college student that was given a speech. It might have been commencement. It might have just been some other event where he was giving a speech about how all these people helped him by carrying him through life. And he told a story about how he fell asleep in a car uh, when his family was on the way back home from someplace and his dad picked him up and carried him in. So oh, is my baby sleepy. And then he revealed that he was 14 years old at the time. And so he's given all these examples about, you know, this teacher and that person that helped carry him. And the underlying uh, assumption is, is that he really didn't do anything for himself. All these people carried him to a certain spot in his life and he had no responsibility for his own life, essentially. Yeah. That I think was a valedictorian address, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the students actually chose this guy to represent them. Mm-hmm. This useless bag of zero responsibility. <laughs> so it's not just you know primary elementary schools that kind of uh, beats the independence out of people. Now it's like carried on to college where, you know, most people or a lot of people go away to college. It's their first time being away from home. They get a taste of what it might be like to be an adult and be on their own and learn some responsibility. But even at college, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, it's like they're they're carrying it with them now, right? It's Mm -hmm. like they're insisting on it, like demanding safe spaces. And it's like, you know, you see in all these different, uh, protests and things like that like the students screaming at the administration it's your responsibility to give us a safe space you know it's your responsibility to make us feel at home here and it's like no it's not that's not what college like that's not what higher education is supposed to be about it's not for you to feel safe and not be challenged it's the exact opposite of that yeah well we actually have a a clip (laughs) a clip on that this is the the shrieking girl at yale And just for a little background, I guess she was responding to, uh, I guess Halloween season was coming up and the house master of the dorm that she lived in sent out this email saying that it was okay to wear whatever uh, costume that you wanted. And a lot of people were outraged and this girl was one of them. And she does drop the F-bomb a couple times, but it's fitting. Other people have rights too.
Unity! 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 Remember when like, it, these college kids cool <laughs> want a home. They want like a little playground <laughs> where they can be safe. I think they just want to crawl back up into the womb. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's basically what it comes down to is that or they're not. Black hole. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not. They're not comfortable in life. <laughs> and they need somebody to take care of them. Right. And how dare she say that college isn't a space for intellectualism? I thought that was the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, into, you know, intellectualism saying that now is a dog whistle for uh, oppression, right? <laughs> I'm being cheeky, yeah. but that's, you know, that's what they say. Yeah, I've, I think the whole thing is really fascinating because it's like, and I'm not that old, uh, you know, so I'm 37. And I remember uh, when I was looking at going to college, it was really frightening because it was like this huge challenge, this space that you weren't sure if you would even make it out. You know, you'd go in and you mm-hmm. were like, this is going to be a real accomplishment to finish this. So it was like you knew that you were going into kind of a dangerous setting and you had to prove yourself. And that, uh, I feel like that feeling is uh, is kind of going away too now where, you know, the college is supposed to be a safe space where you're accepted warmly in, you know, in a blanket from your parents' home into this new home. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's antithetical. So, but I, I feel conflicted saying that because I, like I said, I do think that students in a, in a learning environment should be given more freedom. That something is wrong with this <clears throat> setup uh, in the sense that they are, uh, you know, they're they're not. How do I put this? They're not determining what they want to learn and then pursuing that as though it were something that they want to learn. They're they're whining about their environment. Yeah, they don't want to be adults. Yeah. They just want to throw temper tantrums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but there's something weird going on with the control aspect uh which like i said i keep coming back to how weird this is to think about because i also have a problem with like the authoritarian follower mindset Mm. so i appreciate the impulse to be independent and to say this Mm. is the way i think things should go but there's a real fine balance that needs to be had there with reality and that's i think what's missing but i don't necessarily know how to frame it in words well i think i think that the, basically, like, you know, it, you're right. There should be kind of a certain level of freedom within education that, that somebody should be able to kind of, uh, you know, follow whatever they're passionate about and kind of learn what they want to learn. But that, I, I think that's antithetical to what these people are demanding, which is that they don't, they don't want to be challenged at all. Um, and all they want to be is coddled. And I think that uh, it doesn't really like it's almost like the two concepts are completely different. It's like it's not like they're like, no, I want to learn this. And you're forcing me to into a curriculum that I don't want to to learn about because I have other passions. It's like, no, I want to be taken care of and you're yeah. making me feel unsafe. Maybe that's where the cognitive dissonance comes from. It's like they're demanding that they the right, you know, to determine their own path. And at the same time, they're demanding that they be coddled. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a dissonant impulse. Yeah. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around it. Uh, then you have to look back at the school system, again, going back to John Taylor Gatto and how independence is kind of beaten out of kids and curiosity and the desire to actually learn something of their own volition, not just stuff that's spoon-fed to him, and how that carries over into college. And a lot of these kids, their parents are still overly involved with them when they're in college. They're following up on whether they did their assignments, you know, if they're going to class, if they're meeting with their professors for extra help, uh, they're deciding what their majors should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really not surprising that this generation is completely clueless and has no idea how to navigate in reality. Mm-hmm. Well, one of our chatters brought up an interesting point, too. He said uh, fake news filters also make sense in a nanny state that wants to protect, prevent the people from learning. And I think that's a good point. You know, there was a, I guess it was a year or so ago where everybody was talking about the bubble. I guess it was right after Trump got elected when everybody was talking about, oh, yeah, there's these bubbles that exist because all your your content is being filtered um, because, you know, they they you know, track your preferences, what kind of stories you read, and those then those are fed back to you. And you don't get kind of any kind of outside perspective on things. And I think that that is, you know, in a way, that is kind of like the creation of a safe space. It's kind of like, I don't want any contradictory ideas um, coming into my field of vision. I want, you know, only the things that I agree with to be fed back to me. And in a way, that is kind of like a like an intellectual safe space. It's like, no challenging, please. Just Just give me what I want. Yeah, and it, it speaks too, I think, to the fact that, like, just in the way that you were saying this, and I'm not trying to follow you for it, but it's evident in your words that, because I say it too, that news comes from social media, right? They, mm-hmm. they they control what people are learning about what's going on in the world because of the feed, whether it's mm-hmm. Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. The, very few people anymore are, like, actually searching for information that they want to find comparing different sources, looking into like the fourth, fifth, sixth page of Google results, you know, to try to actually find yeah. something. It's, it's because all about it the is. feed now. Yeah, well, it is. It's not just that, though, because, I mean, YouTube tracks your preferences and makes suggestions yeah. based on those. I mean, Google yeah. does the same thing. So, like, mm. to, yeah, you're right. I mean, it does kind of seem, I think, most people are getting their news from their, their feed on these social media platforms. But, it's kind of like all your access to the internet is tracking your preferences and feeding you back what you want. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, it's almost inescapable actually, unless I, I know there's ways of kind of logging in anonymously and then it's not, you know, you're not having all your past um, preferences kind of inflicted on you. But, yeah. Well, um, that's, I mean, to, to actually find, to do that search and find information anymore, you have to be kind of a nerd, right? You have to use Tor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your alternate search engines uh, other than Google and, and know what you're looking for, you know. If you're just yeah. a regular kind of uh, John or Jane Doe internet user, yeah, you're using Google, Facebook, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much those three. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I guess... Uh, thinking about the underlying impulses to this or the underlying um, causes 
for the state that we find ourselves in where people are becoming less and less self-reliant uh i can't help but think from like a kind of apocalyptic point of view how it's making it worse like Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna just not to uh equivocate my words um but it's obviously hypothetical let's say something akin to the apocalypse happened in like the 60s or the 50s would be much more equipped to handle it than if it happened now yeah right you know because yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i just feel like there's so many people i mean leave aside the the fact that uh the people don't know how to think about you know their life and what they're doing with it and you know what school means what education means what your childhood is when you should grow up i i suffered from that too i mean i you know I would kind of tongue in cheek say I haven't really grown up yet, but I would honestly say I didn't really grow up until I was in like my early thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so it's kind of embarrassing, but it is what it is. Um, but it, it, speaking to the underlying cause of this, uh, you know, is it a, is it an overarching plan, so to speak, say like the forces that kind of put the Prussian model of education into the Western world and, we have the advent of industrialization and now with the internet and social media, the more and more things that specifically are making people less reliant, or do you think it's just uh, the outcome of, of chaos, you know, and, and, and people's nature to be lazy, I guess. Hmm. Not that it has to be one of those two things, but that seems to me like, you know, it could be a, like a plan sort of, or it could just yeah. be like the way things go. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know in the United States, but at least in some Mediterranean cultures like Italy and Spain, yeah, people leave home very late, very late, you know. Mm. And uh, there are several factors. It's just not just the culture, it's just also, you know, the economic crisis you know, that delayed a lot of, you know, getting independence mm-hmm. for people. And I don't know what is happening in the United States, but I knew, like, for example, in some cultures, it was very common to already be like a parent in the 20s. But now it's just like that sounds like they're so young, the kids couldn't be able to parent at all. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. 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 Well, we've talked about those examples. Uh, on the sh- on the show before, like uh, Benjamin Franklin started making his money that he you know that was his fortune throughout his life when he was twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Farragut was the captain of a naval ship in the Colonial Army when he was twelve years old. Um, wow. You know, it was commonplace for you to be out of the house, like Gabby said, but obviously in a more extreme way, uh, not even a hundred years ago when you were fifteen, fourteen, fifteen mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. You're like out now. You got to figure out what to do with your life. Yeah. Um, and I think the common rebuttal to that is, oh, do you want to go back? You know, <clears throat> you want to go back to like the Wild West, you know, or like a time where you could you could die from uh, from an infection, you know, or where we didn't have all these wonderful technological advances. And not not really. I mean, I like that idea, uh, but I, I don't really want to go back to that world. I just want us to accept our new conveniences and new technological advancements in like a responsible way. Cause they could be, you know, and I know we've talked about this before too, but like your phone, the, it, it really is Star Trek. The, you know, the, the entirety of the information of the world 
with some exceptions, is available to you on a device that you can carry in your pocket. And yet mm -hmm. people are getting dumber. And that is yeah. really frustrating, you know. Yeah. But it, it seems like it, when you really lay it out, it, it, <laughs> it is kind of logical in the sense that, yeah, you give people easier and easier access to information that they'll, they'll be more and more lazy, just like how the Druids well, restricted their, their initiates from uh, writing so that they would have to memorize everything. Yeah. We carried an article not too long ago about that, how smartphones are actually inhibiting encoded information and, you know, creative thinking and cognitive sure. faculties, basically. Sure. It's doing exactly the opposite, like you're saying. Yeah. So is it intentional? Well, I can't help but think that it is, especially given uh, John Taylor Gatto's uh, work. I mean, the whole thing about, like you were saying, the Prussian school system and all these kinds of things where it was pretty clear that the elite wanted didn't want an intelligent populace they wanted right. a bunch of good workers who completely were conditioned to respond to the bell and you know were smart enough to run the machines but not much else not smart yeah. enough to question um and it really like i mean when you look at everything that's going on around us like the smartphone example is a good a good example it's kind of like is it an accident that that the technology that we're having access to now is something that makes us dumber. I mean, you look at Wi-Fi and stuff like that, and it's, you know, uh, actually harmful and inhibits higher-level thinking. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard not to look at things and think, yeah, you know, there's some scheming going on behind the scenes here, and, um, and it's working. Yeah, I think that there yeah. was a plan and also some <clears throat> scheming involved in order to create obedient slaves. But I think that it's also just a result of having psychopaths who want to control every aspect of people's lives. Mm -hmm. Having those yeah. people in power, I mean, if we look around at what's going on today. This is just a natural outgrowth of something like that. People mm -hmm. who can't think for themselves. And that's what the psychopaths in power want. It doesn't really matter exactly what form that it takes or whether they're smartphones or anything. Uh, mm -hmm. Once their power grows and grows and grows, I mean, no matter what the small details, I think the outcome would be the same. Just to have a yeah. bunch mm -hmm. of dumb, mindless people who look to power for their answers to the questions in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the answer is probably more likely, a, as with everything else, a, a combination of all those things. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, there were people who said, let's bring this schooling system in because it can give us more complacent workers over time. But now those people are dead, you know, and their descendants have trust funds and maybe they're not a, the smartest cookie in the box. So they didn't carry forward the plan, you know, that the family laid down mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but in that environment, in that uh, power structure, other people rose up and those people may or may not have statistically probably were psychopaths um, mm. and took advantage of the system that existed. And then here we find ourselves in a place where new generations are continually like one after the other taking advantage of the situation that's in place. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I mean, you could say that even the way that technology develops um, could be a result of having people who aren't really able to think. It's like, well, how can we make everything easier? 
right? Sure. It's like, you know, what, what do people actually want? And they yeah. want to sit there and be able to look at their Instagram feed from anywhere in the world. And, you know, that's, there you go. You've got mindless entertainment at your fingertips. And it's kind yeah. of like, the, you know, that's, that's what's driving, you know, maybe if people actually valued um, intellectual pursuits, then the technology might have actually developed differently or might be used differently. But yeah. uh, as it stands right now, it's kind of like, you know, you could, I know there's a lot of people out there who, who say that that technology is actually just neutral. And, you know, to a certain extent, I think I agree with that. It's like, it's, it's, they aren't, they aren't telling people how to use it. Right. I mean, like, you know, when I was, had a smartphone and was using it regularly, I was checking SOD all the time. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there like, you know, watching YouTube videos of like, you know, people dumping ice buckets on their heads. I was like, you know, reading SOD. So, I mean, you, you could say that it is kind of, uh, it's more about how it's used, I guess. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, you have to understand the terminology. Like, Facebook is not the technology. Facebook is an implementation of the technology. Yeah. So the technology itself uh, is objectively neutral. <clears throat> These implementations of it are geared towards certain ends, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that it will be different if people actually demanded certain technologies. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't recall anybody ever saying, gee, I think it would be so great if I could have a computer that fit in my pocket and I could take it wherever I wanted to go. Or if I could connect with uh, my relative that lives in Shanghai or somewhere. I mean, people seem to have been satisfied with just talking on the phone at home or writing a letter or going to visit somebody, I don't think there was any great big demand for all these technological advances, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It just seems like they're pushed on people and then people get used to it and then they want it and they're comfortable mm-hmm. with it. And then the next thing gets pushed onto them and then they get comfortable with it and they want it. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. I think well, I think people had more satisfaction back in the 80s when they were corresponding with strangers through snail mail, making friends like that. They said, oh, my God, a letter from whoever that I don't know in China. <laughs> tell you we're alive. And... <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're approaching yeah. a, uh, I think that we are, if we haven't reached it, we're approaching an event horizon with what's, with what the human race can handle as far as information and how it's exchanged i think there might just be too much for people like we haven't evolved a pace with the increase in the availability of information it kind of like i Mm. I, and i'm waiting to see if this becomes true but i have this my own little personal theory about the mail system because so many people are ordering online now and it's to the point where it's you know it has been for about 10 or 15 years but it's really now impacting local businesses to the point where businesses mm-hmm. are shutting down because everything's happening online. I think at a certain point that the mail system is going to overload and will within like the span of a week, all of a sudden it's going to be like no more packages because everything's shut down because there were just too many. So it's like an exponential increase in the number of parcels in the system. It's just my wow. personal theory, but you know, that's Amazon what drones are going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon is starting their own postal service, apparently. Drone delivery? Yeah. Well, they would yeah, have they're to. They're doing drone right? delivery. And... They would have to at yeah. a certain point. But I think the same thing think... is kind of true with information. Um, 
in that we just uh, have access to more than we're, I guess, biologically capable of, uh, of processing. Well, that could be mm-hmm. the reason why there's a cry for all these safe spaces. People just can't take anything that's outside of their own bubble anymore. Maybe if they were more emotionally resilient or maybe older from a different generation, they would be able to cope. But they seem to have gone to the opposite end of the spectrum and they only want opinions that conform to their own. They only want to be around people who have the same ideas that they have. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's one of the backlashes of all this information. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like if they just had the experience of going through a painful transition with the end in mind of learning something and then learning that thing and then implementing that knowledge that you learned from that experience of suffering. Like that process is so rewarding that I feel like maybe they haven't even had it. Hmm. Otherwise they would know that that's like the way to go. They probably haven't. They can't even walk to school by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, their parents in the nanny state have, have taken that from them. I mean, basically, it's like taking their right to be an autonomous being. It's like, yeah, I mean, if you haven't learned all those things and learned all those skills or learned anything, if you've been spoon-fed your entire life, then really you're just useless at the end of it all. You can't really do anything. Yeah, well, and that's one of the things that's frustrating to me about this access to information issue because... Uh, to me, and I know, I know I'm not alone. I'm not trying to be cocky, but uh, it's it's exciting. You know, the the amount of information that's available is really exciting, and you can get, mm. a, you can give yourself a college level education, a real education, not just college, um, for the cost of an internet connection and a few subscription fees. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm. you can work a minimum wage job. Now, granted, you're, it's not going to be a great life, but you could then actually give yourself this level of education with a certain amount of initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, so that's, what's frustrating about watching people get dumber and dumber is that it's almost like they don't know what they have at their fingertips. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I think universities are at this point completely obsolete. I know that's an extreme statement, but I, I really think they are, uh, you know, but what's lacking now is the initiative to actually teach oneself. Mm-hmm. Because it is possible. You can, I mean, in, in that sense that you you then find teachers. If you if you have the impulse to find people who you understand know more than you and can teach you, whether that's face to face or through online through a course or whatever, but you can cross reference different data points and bring them together and then learn something from that. Uh, you know how how is everybody in America not like the smartest people on the planet at the, at this point in time with the access that we have uh, <laughs> the answer is obvious yeah i'm being cheeky but um yeah that's the frustrating point about it i think is i mean all told we should be we should be the the pinnacle of human history ever right now and i guess technologically you could say that we are but uh, certainly not intellectually or emotionally in in any way at all Wow. Well, do we want to play this last clip? Yeah. I kind of mm-hmm. forgot what was in it. <laughs> but it is just talking about how people are demanding a nanny state. They want somebody mm-hmm. to have authority over them. Triggering is the hot new word in the nanny state right now. 
it means that content might trigger some negative emotions in the person consuming the content. So like if someone reads an article online and it makes them feel bad somehow, they might write, this is triggering in the comment section. Triggering is the hot new PC buzzword. And now colleges across the U.S. are debating whether or not to put trigger warnings on classic literature. The example the New York Times gave was putting a sticker on the Great Gatsby that says the book contains a variety of themes that reference gory, abusive, and misogynistic violence. The University of California, Santa Barbara, Oberlin College, Rutgers, the University of Michigan, George Washington, and other schools, they're all considering putting trigger warnings on classic books. But the worst part is, the students are the ones requesting them. Because apparently they're all too frail to handle reading anything that might trigger a negative emotion. What the hell is up with our kids, America? As Greg Lukiana, president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, puts it, this is some sort of inevitable movement toward people expecting physical and intellectual comfort in their lives. And it's only going to get harder to teach people that there's a real, important, and serious value in being offended. I couldn't agree more with Greg. It's important to be uncomfortable, because that's how you and society grow. Almost 30 years ago, Tipper Gore successfully censored the music industry with her PMRC hearings, which resulted in warning labels being put on music CDs. And as a result of those labels, musicians who pushed the envelope and actually made people think saw their sales decimated. And now our kids want to do the same thing with classic literature. We're now at a place in our overblown PC culture where our kids actually want to be coddled and sedated. They want to be nannied. That's what this country is becoming. If we keep going down this road, there will be absolutely no freedom and no art left. No books, movies, music, even the news will be affected, all because people are too frail to feel slightly uncomfortable. Our nanny state will have triggered a completely controlled, moronic, boring populace right into existence. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> 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 there's another yeah. point of cognitive dissonance there that uh that just popped out to me that um the uncomfortability aspect of it that so these students at reed and evergreen and wherever who are demanding uh safe spaces with some of the videos that i've seen their attitude is very like confrontational like oh you know what is my you know is is my pc making you uncomfortable you know like are, are you, you know, are you so uh, regressive that this is making you uncomfortable? So they want to push that and do that confrontational kind of thing. But when they're confronted with that, they break down completely. So it's, mm. I mean, you could boil it down to like they can dish it out, but they can't take it yeah. statement, yeah. I guess. And it comes back to the whole thing about, um, you know, the whole triggering thing. It's like, when when did that become a thing? Because I mean, it, it seems it seems to me that like, like being triggered. Yeah. Really, was it that recently? Anyway, it no. seems to me that before, like being triggered was like you know it was you were being challenged, right? Like you know that was something to to explore and you know really try to figure out. But now it's like again with the responsibility put on everybody else 
you know, it's, it's your responsibility not to trigger me. It's like, yeah. well, where is like the idea of freedom of speech within that? You know, that yeah. you can actually say what, you know, what you think and what, you know, you want to put forward. You're allowed to express ideas, you know, but, you know, how likely is somebody to actually value, you know, in the United States, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, if you're forbidden to say or even think certain things, you know, or you'll be accused of like microaggressions and triggering and all this other kind of bullshit. Oh yeah, in certain circles, just saying uh, him or her is a agenderphobic microaggression. You know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, yeah. granted, that extreme is not that widespread, but what is widespread is this, I guess, uh, petulant attitude. Yeah. Suck it up, everybody. That's true. Well, can you yeah. imagine <laughs> that these people are going to graduate? Not that we don't already have a nanny state. In certain aspects anyway, but once this millennial, these millennials graduate college and start getting jobs and rise to positions of power, I can't imagine how awful it's going to be. Like she said in the video, I mean, it's basically you're not going to have any freedom to do anything. Yeah. You can't think certain things. You certainly can't say certain things. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to be controlled for you. Yeah. Well, I think it's already so, happening in the sense. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and that is going to be really interesting. I, I mean, do it's going like, to get right, worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to get worse. Because right now, a lot of those people who are in positions of power are, I guess, have they may be from an older generation who wasn't mm-hmm. wrapped up in this, but they have, like, crossed over to mm-hmm. say, yes, we agree that this is the way things should be now. So it's it's yeah. it's already transitioned into there are people in power who think that way. But I agree that it's mm-hmm. going to get much more interesting when all of the current, like, you know, what, uh, 18 to 22-year-old generation is, is going to grow up and, and have those positions. Yeah. Yeah. So you you have get those the psychopaths then? on top who get off on controlling people. And then you have this gang of authoritarian millennial crybaby followers coming yeah. in underneath them that will just implement whatever in order to keep people safe and to make themselves feel good. Right. It's going to be a real picture, crap show. <laughs> I can't picture these guys actually being able to hold down a job. So I don't know, maybe I'm <laughs> a bit naive, but like, I don't, I don't know how somebody who's been coddled their entire life is suddenly going to be mm-hmm. like in a position of power. It's like, well, a, I think that's... It, it's basically a useless generation. Yeah, I think what's happening right now is we're seeing the shift of the policies that will allow that. Yeah. Mm. You know. I think they'll have jobs. I mean, if you look at like the health sector, I mean, it's full of authoritarian followers and people just tow the party line and they just, you know, push their flu vaccines and push the medicine. They don't investigate anything for themselves. They just do what whatever you know, American Heart Association or this association or that association tells them to do. And I think that this generation, these millennials are going to be the perfect people to carry on that tradition. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, the, uh, (coughs) the, uh, American Heart Association just had a heart attack. So if that's, I I don't know what it is. That was so funny. I don't mean to laugh at his misfortune, but <laughs> good grief. 
Yeah. I was, I found it more upsetting, like, okay, just perfect, typical sign of the time, you know? Yeah. And yet it's well, going to be what, missed. Like, nobody yeah, will make it, a snitch. No, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is morbidly funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. You know, uh, on kind of a cosmic level, it is also a really sober indicator of, of where we're at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So well, will uh, these sheltered crybabies eventually fall onto their own swords, so to speak? I will think whole, gonna it's going to come to a head at some point. The whole kit yeah. boodle is going to fall on its own sword. Yeah, I mean, I think like like we were saying, like they will they will move forward. You know, I don't think society is going to collapse under the weight of a bunch of children necessarily they'll have jobs. The jobs will be a little more cushy, more progressive, you know, like more coddling and stuff like that. But eventually the whole system, you know, as that goes on and on is, is going to fall, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually wonder if it's a a confrontation between the people who are like that. Well, I mean the liberals and the conservatives for lack of a better term. Like it really seems to me like things are are coming to a head, mm. and I'm wondering if that's actually what you're going to see is is they're going to try and start their crybaby baby revolution and um, just get struck down. Or you can see it from an inter- from an international point of view because this exactly is not happening in every single culture. No. You know there are no crybabies mm-hmm. in certain it's in the eastern hemisphere yeah technology is being used wisely and they're making great advances mm. Mm. yeah i think so it's just america going down <laughs> yeah well it is the, the te- i mean i do think that we're seeing the tail end of the empire what i mean you know right now uh we're in the tail end of the longest war i think um you know, for a long time. <laughs> no, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not a military historian, so I don't know. But the you know the current quote unquote war has been going on for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Longer than that, right? If you count the Gulf. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I guess I didn't mean to be uh, rambling by saying that, but I, I feel like um, <clears throat> that's that's an indicator, you know, mm. that uh, of of yeah. where the state of the whole kind of world is going and and that we're approaching a point where yeah the hegemony of the united states and the western world in general is going to uh decline and we're going to see what happens afterwards now don't misconstrue my words i'm not like down with the west or anything along those lines uh what i'm saying is i think that that's the progression that we're going to see because um as our culture as a whole becomes more and more uh, not to overuse the word, but uh, petulant. Um, we're not only going to not be able to manage the daily living, but existing as a country, right? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some uh, new shift. I mean, uh, barring a, a cataclysmic event, uh, like you know, some kind of meteor impact or an ice age coming on and just throwing everything completely haywire. <clears throat> I think if, if you just, barring that kind of event, if you look at the progression of the way things are going, that the U.S. is going to lose power and more likely somebody like Russia or Europe is going to gain more power. Um, mm. Don't or, forget or China. China. China will China. 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 <laughs> just take it's over everybody. China. 
Yeah. What do we'll, they have? Like, we'll all learn Chinese and then we'll yeah. get smarter. <laughs> get smarter yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess we don't need to stray into geopolitics. No, me neither, uh, Bob. You know, I let, could, I, I've seen the contrast, you know, the things, technological yeah. things or scientific discoveries coming out from the East and the West. And uh, it's hard to say about, you know, uh, the education, you know, and I guess what I want to say is that some specific stories, yes, you don't, you only hear it coming from the United States and then that spreads out, but mm, it doesn't necessarily hold in certain places. Like it doesn't seem to me it's holding so strongly in China and Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. <clears throat> we do have well, a fairly Western-centric perspective on this, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I guess to uh, add some, some levity to our discussion, let's go to the, the pet health segment for today. Uh, we'll hear <laughs> a, a bit from George Carlin about cats and dogs. <laughs> And welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and considering everything that has been going on in the world, I would like to continue a lighter and more comical tone from last week's segment and share with you a skit by George Carlin on the topic of dogs, cats, and the differences between them. Enjoy! I love that dog. I've never seen him, and I love him. He's going to be wonderful when I meet that dog. <laughs> lots of people got lots of goddamn doggies. And you don't even have to have one to learn about doggies. Your friend might have a dog. It could be your friend's dog. He makes you him. That makes him your dog friend. You go to visit your friend, his dog is in, you can pet him too. Hi, hello, how are you, Sneezy? You're wonderful. Hello, goddamn. And for that moment, he's your dog. So you can have someone else's dog for a while. Hi, he likes, he likes me. I think, oh my God, look at this doggy here. Goddamn doggies. Lots of things to know about them, too. Lots of things you learn. You don't know where always, and you can't remember. For instance, can you remember the first time you found out that by scratching a dog here, you could make this leg go like that? <laughs> and that you could make it stop when you stop. God damn. I'm in complete control of this dog. Well, that you can make their head tilt from across the room just by making a funny noise. You go, and he goes, oh, look, honey, isn't he cute? Let's get his head fixed so he stays like that. Did you ever spell in front of your dog? Some of them are smart. You got a spell. Honey, do we have any more B-O-N-E-S? <laughs> they know the sound of B alone. B-bone, bone, 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 And sooner or later, what's gonna happen with the little dog? Sooner or later, lying on the bed, he's gonna create an incident. He's gonna make one of you humans turn to the other and say, Honey, did you fart? <laughs> Not me. 
I thought you farted. Not me. That's not even one of my farts. I've got four farts, and that's not one of mine. I've got my Heineken spot. I got my broccoli fart, my rice pudding fart, and my non-dairy creamer fart. And that's not one of my farts. I know. The dog farted. Tippy, why did you fart? Look at him. He knows he farted. Seen his ass all open up. <laughs> I seen it. Well, I happen to be looking at his asshole by chance. What kind of a question is that? I thought he was doing them deep breathing exercises. <laughs> Two dogs have nothing to do. There's no job description for a dog. They're forced to wait for something to happen that they can get in on. If you do something, they'll be glad to join you. But they rarely initiate any activity on their own. They're just waiting. Waiting. Waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting to come in, waiting to go out, waiting to eat, waiting to crap, waiting to wake up, waiting to sleep, waiting to go upstairs, waiting to go downstairs. Sometimes they're just waiting to wait. You ever seen a dog just standing there? He don't know what he's waiting for. But if it happens, he'll be ready. Just a waiting and a waiting. Waiting for you to come home. They don't understand time. Dog doesn't know the difference between an hour and a half or next week. He thinks you're going to be gone forever. That's the only time period dogs really understand. Forever. That's how long they think everything lasts. That's how long they think everything takes. Forever and ever. Do you ever scratch your dog behind the ears? Oh boy, they love that, huh? Oh boy, you're scratching your doggy behind the ears and he really loves that. And you're looking at him and everything. And when you finally stop, he looks at you like you're a criminal. <laughs> he thought it was going to go on and on and on. Same thing when you feed them. As soon as they get finished, they say, where the fuck's the food? They thought it was the loaves and the fishes. It was going to last forever and ever. Dog don't know. They must think we're going to be gone forever. Otherwise, why would they act the way they do when we finally get home? Oh boy, 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 oh boy. I thought you were never going to come home. I thought you were never going to come home. I thought you were never going to come home. I thought you were never going to come home. I didn't know what to do. You know what? I didn't know how to operate the can opener. How do you operate the can opener? I didn't know what to do, man. What do you push it down? I couldn't think of it. You know what? You know what I did? I took a can of dog food and I rolled it down the hill and hope a truck ran it over. That's what I think of, man. I mean. They'll do that if you even just forgot your hat. You come back in eight seconds. Oh boy, oh boy, I thought you never going to come home. I was going to eat the bird. I couldn't find the bird. Where the fuck's the bird? And you leave the bird. You stop it. I was just here. Dog don't care. He'll do whatever's next. He don't know what's next, but he'll do something. They'll do two things in a row that don't go together. You ever seen a dog walking through a room and suddenly he stops and chews his back for 18 minutes? 
And then when he's finished chewing, as if it were scheduled for right then, of course. And when he's finished, he doesn't even know where it was he was going to go. Where was I going to go? Oh, shit. Oh, I think I'll go over here. Oh, this is nice over here. I think I'll keep coming over here. He give you that doggy look. Give you them eyes, you know, to have such a great expression. Almost human. Sometimes we say that, isn't he? Look, he looks almost human, Dan. He do, you know. They look like they know something about your mother. They're not willing to mention it right away. They're just looking at you like they got a trig problem they can't quite solve. There's a, there's a sad look in their eyes. All the sadness in the world is right in the eyes of a dog. Did you ever do this? Look right into your doggy's eyes and think of something really sad. And it'll look like it's happening to your dog. <laughs> Strangest thing. They'll look at you like that. You know why they have so successful a look? Because they got eyebrows. Dogs have eyebrows. Or at least little ridges that pass for eyebrows. They got little things that they can manipulate. Just like we do. Oh, please. Please, Daddy. One more treat. Cats can't look at you like that. Cats don't look at that. Cats look at you coldly as if they're testing new eyes. reason cats look different, cats don't have eyebrows. Cats have a bunch of shit sticking out of their head. <laughs> they thought it was going to be an eyebrow, but it didn't work out. Let's not tell them. They think it's an eyebrow. It's just a bunch of shit sticking out of their head. Cats are cute. Cats are goddamn cute. Isn't he cute? Look at him. God, he's cute. He's a kitty cat. That's how cute they are. They needed two names. Kitty wasn't cute enough. Kitty cat. Isn't he cute? The kitty cat. Look at him. Isn't he cute? Let's drown him. <laughs> He's a cute little goddamn kitty cat. Ain't he? Look. Stick him on the wall. See if he hangs up there. Whoa. Little goddamn kitty cat. They're so goddamn cute. Oh, they're wonderful. God love them. They're so physical. That's what's fun. They're so physical. They love to rub on you. They love to rub on you. If you've got a leg and a cat, you got a party. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I love his leg, oh boy. I'm rubbing on his leg, oh boy, oh boy. If you got two legs, shit, Jubilee celebration time. Oh boy, two legs, hot shit. I can do the figure eight. They love to do the figure eight. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I love to rub on his leg. They'll rub against your leg even if you're not there yet. You might still be 50 feet down the hall. They see you coming. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy, soon I'll be rubbing on his leg. Soon. They'll even walk sideways so they don't miss you. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. They love it. They're so physical. You don't have to pet a cat. You just put your hand over him and he'll do all the work. Man. <laughs> you pet him? You ever pet a cat who's lying absolutely flat? And before you're halfway finished, his ass is way up in the air. <laughs> like you pressed the ass button or something. Isn't he a cute little... Holy shit! How did he do that? Then they jump on your chest and put their ass right in your face. Here's my ass, Dad! 
check this ass, huh? And while they're showing you their ass, they give you some of this stuff. I say, get them off of me. Jesus, I hate that. I don't even know what it is, and I don't like it. Look like they're into some bad drug. There's one other quality cats have, which uh, I admire. Cats don't accept blame. They don't embarrass at all. Cat does something dumb, you never know it by looking at him. Dog knocks over a lamp, you can tell who did it just by looking at the dog. Not the cat. Cat doesn't accept any blame. Cat moves along to the next activity. What's that? Not me. Fuck that. I'm a cat. I'm a... Something great? Ask the dog. Cat doesn't get embarrassed. You ever seen a cat race across a carpet and crash into a glass door? I meant that. I meant that. I meant that. That's exactly how I wanted that to look. Fucking meow. Fucking meow. Fucking meow. That's what they say when they get behind the couch. Cat's too proud to let you see him suffer. But you look behind the couch and you'll find your cat recuperating from a domestic accident. They got little slings and walkers, you know. Tried to make the window from the lamp. These are proud, independent goats, just like the cats. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> Thank you, Zoya. That was great. I, I feel like that was some good levity and that we should just kind of wrap it up right there. Yeah. Yes. Because we could get super depressing right now with this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for cheering us up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what so, else to say besides it's only going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. That's what I meant. <laughs> Tiffany, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're all screwed. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny anyway, it's true. Yeah. Thank you to our chatters for uh, for taking part. We had a pretty active chat today. That was cool. Uh, and uh, for listening, and be sure to tune into the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern Time, radio.sot.net. We will be back next week with another show. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.